And welcome to the Rock Podcast. It's never easy, but if we would like to be forgiven, the Lord says we must forgive. It's a lesson Philemon must learn here in this one chapter letter named after its recipient. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled The Grace to Forgive. Now, Heavenly Father, just the book of Philemon, what a marvelous, a wonderful addition to the Word of God. And the subject, so important, so difficult, Lord. Forgiveness, mercy, redemption, extending grace to people when they've hurt us, wounded us, and caused uh, us some loss. Father, this is so valuable to us and such a part of the Christian life. So open our hearts, Lord. Open our eyes to the truth you have for us. Help soften us, Lord to receive difficult admonitions from the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, when you're reading through the Bible, you often find at times that God likes to have fun with words uh, and names, especially names of people and the kind of lives they're living out. And so, for example, you know, he takes a guy named Abram, which means exalted father, So, uh, you know, kind of uh, a weird situation for him where his name means exalted father. People ask him, well, exalted father, how many children do you have? And he has to say, well, actually, (laughs) we don't have any children. This went on until he's way past childbearing ages for both of them, even though Sarah was the one who was barren. And then God steps in and says, oh, I'm going to change your name. And he's all excited. What to? Abraham. Well, Abraham means father of a multitude. (laughs) And so, yes, he was setting him up to to show the lesson with God, all things are possible. And so Abraham, who couldn't have children, did indeed become the father of many in that he is the father of the the current state of Israel. Uh, Anybody who's a Jew, any Jew that you knew is related to Abraham. And so then, You know, a couple thousand years later, God the Son, Jesus Christ, um, talks to uh, Simon. And Simon is known for being an unstable guy. And so he meets Simon. He says, listen, I got a new name for you. I'm going to call you Peter, the Greek word for rock, for stability. Now, (laughs) you know, poor Peter. Everybody who heard, hey, Jesus renamed you. What did he name you? And and he says, rock. And everyone goes, (laughs) (laughs) You know, because it was so not, he was an impulsive kind of a a big mess by the Sea of Galilee there, you know. And so, but the truth that God was saying by playing around with his name was when God gets a hold of your life, you're no longer a mess. Become a man, a man of God. And so he does that. In this short book, 25 verses, called Philemon, he's going to mess around and play around with somebody's name. It's the object of the book of Philemon's name. 
This man, his name is Onesimus, and it means profitable or useful. And whenever anybody heard that from this man's lips, it was another little uh, giggle because this guy was a lot of trouble. He was an insubordinate slave. We will come to find out. He was a servant in a household where he did all kinds of uh, uh, evil things and, and wrongdoing and caused his master a lot of trouble. Now, back in the Roman Empire, depending on what year you're talking about and who you're talking about, the head of household, uh, uh, slavery was, could be a good deal. And it could be a nightmare, depending on the year and who you're dealing with as the master. But in many cases, those 60 million slaves, some of them were signing on because it actually worked out, and it worked out well. And so this was a good situation here uh, in Colossae, and that is the setting. Now, the beautiful thing about this guy who was named useful but was not very profitable, but a pain, um, God got a hold of his life. And so the story of Philemon, which I heard one guy say years ago, what is up with Philemon? Why is it even in the Bible? I don't even get it. What, what's there? What is there? Whenever there's a problem like that, first of all, you don't say it out loud. <laughs> you think those things, but you don't say, you know, I read the Bible and there's nothing there. You know, it's because you're not, combining the word with faith and applying it to your life. Because once you do that with those 25 verses, man, your heart is going to sing. There's, there's some hidden gems there. And it's really, why is it important to listen to? I'm going to tell you right now. It's your story. It's the gospel. It's about being useless. It's about having a wasted life, having no life, and then the redemption and forgiveness of Christ that gives us a new name that we can live up to, the name of Christian, you see. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And so, I mean, seriously, can you imagine finding out at the end of your life that your life was a waste? Because you didn't connect with the life giver, the one who, who made you and had a purpose for you. And so the treasure of Philemon is how not to be useless, but to come into right relationship with the God who made you and hit the, the target, the bullseye for which you were created. That's the beautiful thing. Now, a quick context before we uh, read these 25 verses uh, so that you'll understand the letter. Uh, the Apostle Paul, some 12 years earlier, was evangelizing modern-day Turkey. And for three years, he was in a place called Ephesus. And from Ephesus, one of the visitors there, maybe perhaps doing business because as a slave owner, he would have been a wealthy man. He was in Ephesus on business or pleasure, whatever. He met the Apostle Paul, became very good friends, and got saved. And Philemon went back to Colossae with a few others, like Epaphras, and some other church planters, and they planted a church and used Philemon's home for the facility. And so when you hear about Colossians in the Bible, the Colossians are meeting in Philemon's large, spacious house because he's a wealthy man and he has servants in there. Now, throughout 
time passes, and one of those servants is insubordinate, rebellious, and just a lot of trouble. And one night, he finally does it. He takes a bag of gold that doesn't belong to him, and he absconds, and he gets away, and he funds his travels to a faraway city, 1,200 miles to the largest city then known, Rome. So when you want to run away to a party city where you can get lost, nobody will ever find you, you would run away to Rome. The problem with that is is that there's a God who can find you wherever you go in this world. And so, of course, he runs it. He either, scholars are, are saying, well, somehow he ran into the apostle Paul, who was best friends with the, with the slave owner. Best friends. And so 1,200 miles, what's the coincidence here? You know, what are the odds, I should say, of him running into him? Well, scholars say, did he get arrested and temporarily went through the jail long enough for Paul to befriend him, Onesimus, and to lead him to the Lord? And he led him to the Lord, and in their conversation, so where are you from? You from? I'm from, oh, 1,200 miles from here. Colossae, a little podunk town. Yeah, you've never heard of it. What? I, uh, of course I've heard of it. I, w- I was there. Do you know Philemon? What? <laughs> Philemon's like my best friend. There's a church there. He goes, I'm from that house church. I'm Philemon's runaway slave. And he's like, you're kidding me. Let me tell you about Jesus. Obviously, this is a God thing. What are the odds? Let me tell you why God brought you here. And he shared the gospel and Philemon. Unbeknownst to Philemon, Onesimus becomes a Christian, born again, and he's right there uh, with Paul. Somehow he's going to get released, and Paul is writing a letter to the Colossians, and so he says, hey, why don't you carry this letter to the Colossians? He's named in Colossians as the carrier. He has a friend, Tychicus, with him, but Onesimus is carrying the letter to the Colossians to Philemon's house. And then he says, oh, no, man, you don't know what I did to that man. I can't even, it's a capital offense, Paul. I could lose my head. He goes, listen, I'll write a little recommendation letter called Philemon. (laughs) And you hand that to him when you walk through the door. You hand him the book of Colossians and you hand him the book of Philemon. And that, let's see, let's take it from there. And so in that book, well, here's how the letter reads. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, he always adds Timothy's there, he's kind of with me, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. That's all that word means. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of God's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love, 
I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Onesimus is standing in the room. You've got a picture of Onesimus there, kind of hunched over and uh, not very confident. I appeal to you for this boy, this is my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. I led him to the Lord in prison. Formerly, he was useless, not Onesimus. Here's the word play here. He was useless to you, but now he has become Onesimus, both to you and to me. I am sending him, who's my very heart, back to you. Now, I would have liked to keep him here with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Now, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. That word is forever. It means he's saved now. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. And the letter finishes up. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I'll pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very life. <laughs> He's Jewish. He's Jewish. He, he knows how to do this. I grew up with that. <laughs> not to mention. <laughs> Verse 20. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ confident of your obedience to Christ. Christ is the one who, who commands us to forgive. That's what he's asking him to do. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. He was. He gets out. Epaphras, who's the former pa pastor there, on loan to Paul, my fellow prisoner. Whoops, something happened. So that's why he's not there. In Christ sends you his greetings. And so, so here's the list from the Colossians list. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so there you have it, the book that we call Philemon. It it divides quite nicely for our purposes. One through seven is the greeting affirmation. And then there's, of course, the heartbeat of the letter, verses eight through 21, with the personal passionate appeal. And then he just closes out with kind of a PS on a note of faith and hope of his uh, release. So let's dive in and get started. We'll isolate the beginning words here. It's pretty standard first century letter writing uh, greeting. He says, hey, it's me, Paul. I'm still in prison. But I want you to notice, first off, a godly attitude. It's not natural to us. But if you adopt this kind of attitude, it will change your life. He says, I'm a prisoner here of not Rome. I'm a prisoner here of near, not Nero. 
I'm a prisoner of Christ. I am not, listen, chained to my circumstances. I am under the will of God. I am united with Christ who never leaves me or forsakes me. He opened a door here. I was doing what was right. And when Peter, Peter, first Peter um, says that when you suffer for doing right, you are blessed. He's done nothing wrong. He's been obedient. He's been evangelizing. He's been loving people. He's been doing what God told him to do. And it's, it's his badge to be in prison. This is where God allowed me to wind up as I was serving him. And so he says, hey, I'm, I, I'm chained to the Lord. That means I'm chained to eternal life. I'm chained, chained to his wonderful wisdom. I'm chained to a God who will work all things according uh, to my good. And what were some of those things? That's why Paul can say rejoice. That's why he can say God's doing some good things here. The church at Philippi, anyway, were encouraged. The brothers were preaching with more boldness on account of his hardship. Not to mention, he's saying, I've got a little time for letter writing. I think I'll whip out some letters. You know, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon were all written in that cell. They're called the prison epistles. And he's saying, you know what? Had I not suffered all of that, here's the attitude, I wouldn't be writing four New Testament epistles. He knew he was writing scripture. He did. So God was at work. And partly why he could do the work he did in Paul was because he had an attitude in Paul that didn't have his eyes on the problem. He had his eyes on the Lord. Even Jesus taught us when he's standing before Pontius Pilate, Jesus not answering him, and he says, hey, man, answer me. Don't you know I have the power? I could release you if I wanted to. You should be talking to me. And Jesus says, oh, excuse me. You'd have no power over my life unless it was given you by heaven. You see, he's not chained to Pilate. He's not, he, he's not, the bad guys aren't dragging him to a place he didn't want to go. He's dragging the bad guys to a place he needs to go because it's God's will before the foundation of the world that the lamb should be slain. You see, change your attitude, not your circumstances. Not the wind and the waves. It's the Lord who is working something here. And so all of that right away, he's just saying to Philemon, he's his dear friend and fellow worker, Aphia. Scholars who are smarter than I say Aphia is his wife. And why is the wife involved? Oh, that's a good question. Because first of all, the wives were in charge of the household servants. So we're going to need her to be on board with the plan to reconcile this bad boy who finds Christ and wants to come back and have everything okay. Now, listen, not only is it a practical concern to involve the wife, but it's smart wisdom too. Why? Because the head of the house might be the man, but the woman... The wife is the neck that allows the head to turn wherever she wants it to go. And he's going to ask Philemon, listen to me. He's going to ask Philemon to do some really hard things. To let someone off the hook who's hurt him, who's stolen from him, who's betrayed him. That's, that's no easy task. He's going to need his wife. 
on board. And who's Archippus? Archippus, the scholars say, their boy, their son. So you have Mr. Philemon, Mrs. Philemon, and Philemon Jr., Archippus. And they've got the house church and the Colossians all meet in their home. And in that home was the runaway slave, the troublemaker, the guy who's always dragging his heels, rolling his eyes. Whenever anything was missing, everybody had to search his room because that's what kind of guy. Why did that resonate so much with you guys? Yeah, you know someone like that, sadly. Uh, so anyway, that was funny. Uh, moving on from his family, I just like that he calls um, Archippus a fellow soldier. And that's what Christians, especially ministers, are called. Soldiers. Why? It's a battle. Oh, somebody said, oh, you're just a Christian because you need a crutch in life. Are you kidding me? It was easier before I was a Christian. A crutch? It's hard work. You're, first of all, you're battling your own sinful inclination. Every cell in this sinful body is opposed to the will of God and wants to take me down on a daily basis. That's why Jesus says every single day, you better get in real good practice of denying yourself that sinful, worldly-centered, me-first kind of prompt that every human being has. We also have a world that's constantly trying to squeeze us into its mold. All the time. And then the Bible tells us we have unseen enemies of spiritual darkness that are invisible to us that are seeking to cause us problems and hindering us and causing us pain. Yeah. No wonder he says, fellow soldier, fight it out. Slug this thing out. And don't be so surprised that, that it's, you're in a war. That's normative Christian living is that you are in a battle for your life and for the honor and glory of your Savior who bled and died for you and not only for you so that the world around you might hear the good news and come out and be saved. Amen? Amen. And so with that grace and peace, he starts the letter and he moves on to some affirmations now, which is so smart. Listen, and I've told you this many times, before you bring some hard truth to somebody, some correction or a favor that's going to be hard for them to comply and in this case, very difficult, you, you start to mention some good things about them, right? You don't just sit somebody down and say, hey, I need you to do this, right? No, you sit them down and you say, hey, I've noticed you've been really excelling here and thank you, I appreciate this and that and the other thing. And then... Diplomatically, you bring in the thing that, that is harder to hear. And I told you this before, but people know that's my MO around here. And so when, <laughs> on staff, and when I start piling up some of the accolades, they all start squinting like, <laughs> here it comes, you know. But it, it's important. So he says, listen, when I pray for, first of all, I thank God that I even know you. I, it puts a smile on my face to think about you. You're that kind of friend to me. And when I pray, I just thank God for your love and how you refresh people. Man, now look what he's doing. He's genius. It's the Holy Spirit's prompting him with this incredible wisdom because he's going to ask him to be who he is. Everybody knows, dude, you're a refresher. You're a lover. You're a believer. 
You go, you bend over backwards. You go that. You'd give a guy the shirt off your back and more if you could. That's who you are. And so I'm about to ask you to remember that. That you are this kind of guy. Because I'm going to call you to refresh somebody who's clinging to life and needs you to be that soft-hearted, refreshing kind of person. To have mercy in your heart like we know you do. And he says, I pray that you keep active in sharing your faith. There is not the, the way we think of sharing your faith as gospelizing, as Pastor Adam calls it, uh, but evangelizing, and that is a word, by the way. Uh, but it's more of living out your faith. It means fellowship. Just, uh, he says that, and I love this, as you live out your faith, you will grow and understand what we, the, every good thing God has for you. How do you find it out? by putting it into practice. And that's God's way. One of my favorite scriptures, it's kind of obscure in the Gospels, it says, Jesus speaking, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God. Love that. Jesus says, you want to know? Put it into practice. Live it out and then you'll know. Obey me first and then you'll get your evidence that you're looking for. Oh, no, everybody's like, give me the evidence, and then I'll obey. Then he says, excuse me, I'm God. <laughs> you're not. So what I would like you to do is first obey me, step out in faith, and then you'll know. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, my prayer for you is that you keep on living the Christian life, serving, bending over backwards, refreshing the hearts of the saints. Means whenever anybody's in need, that guy's like, you're going to need Let's fix this. Let's do this. Let's pray right now. That's what he's saying. Keep that up, and every good thing that God has for you, you'll get it. You'll grow. You'll become mature because you become mature not by just listening to the pastor all the time. It's listening and then doing it, becoming that kind of person, exercising your faith, then you'll know. Then you'll grow. That's beautiful. And then he says, and just so you know, your life's making a difference. Your life, Philemon, 1,200, I should say, miles from me, like a pebble dropped in a pond, this concentric circles, widening and widening and widening. Your faith has been heard. They talk about you. You've refreshed me. I'm bound, but when I hear there's a guy who loves Jesus, he's overflowing with love, the church is, is stable, and everybody's being loved up by you, man. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Your influence has reached Rome to a dark cell where I am. And I may be suffering, I may be, be chained and limited, but you know what? Your, your life has made a difference. Has Listen to me. When you love people and you go the extra mile and you're the difference between somebody going left or right or, or you're convincing somebody to keep on going, I'm telling you what, your influence, you will find out in heaven that perhaps you changed generations by your, your willingness to obey, to, to, to step out in faith, to do the right thing, to not sin to extend mercy, to show grace. You have no idea when you get to heaven about who your good deeds and your faithful behavior is, is affecting and influencing. So Paul is just grateful right there. And, and now, 
you know, so here's what he's saying. Um, and, and just so beautiful. He says, you're a believer, you're a, a lover, you're a refresher of people's hearts. Now I'm going to ask you, I'm about to ask you now to love the, the unlovable. I'm going to ask you to refresh somebody who didn't refresh you, but hurt you. I'm going to ask you to be the kind, gracious person you are when it counts, when it's going to be hard to be that way. Oh, anybody can love somebody who loves you, Jesus said. The sinners do that. Atheists do that. If you love me, you give gifts to me, you're easy in my life. I mean, it's easy to love you. But Jesus says, why don't you try the difference of loving somebody who's mean to you, who betrays you, who hurts you, who uses you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you, and you will prove that you're not just born of human beings, that you're born of God, because that's how God is. He's kind to the ungrateful and merciful to people who don't deserve it. Be like that. So he's about, he's just kind of saying, you got that? That's who you are, and just reminding you, you're this kind of person. And you need to be that kind of person when you're challenged. Here we go. The plea, 8 through 12. Therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do it. You know, I'm an apostle. I could pull rank and all of that. But it's bigger than that, man. This is a thing of people. It's a based on love. So I'm appealing to you for this, this son of mine, Onesimus, who I led to the Lord while I was in prison. And when I sent him back to you, it was like ripping out my heart. Another Jewish help there with the drama, dramatic thing. It was like ripping out my heart already, you know, when I sent him to be with you. So he'll notice in the letter now here the basis of love. He's saying, listen, did you notice the letter did not start out Paul and Apostle? He always starts out Paul and Apostle because God gives pastors and leaders a servant, a delegated authority in the scriptures. They possess that kind of authority to manage the household of God as the scriptures called. He says, this isn't about me pulling rank. I didn't say Paul, an apostle. I am appealing to you as a brother, as a friend, on the basis of love. That's what he wants to talk to him about. Now, Paul's not there, the Colossian pastor. He'd never been to Colossae. But he led Philemon to the Lord. He led Archippus to the Lord. He led uh, Epaphras to the Lord. All the church planters, he's their pastor. So in that sense, he said, I could say, hey, I'm your pastor, man. I need you to come through here, soften your heart. There's something really important to do. Instead, he says, listen, I'm going to appeal to you in love. You know, you can pull rank, but orders are likely to be resented. But an appeal from a friend is difficult to resist. So he's using his mind, and of course, the Holy Spirit is helping. Now, listen, he might uh, not pull rank, but he does not have a problem pulling some heartstrings. And so here they come. You know, he says, for love's sake. What does he mean by that? He's using the word for God's love, for the sake of God Almighty who so loved the world and so loved you, Philemon. 
for Christ's love for Philemon, for Christ's love for me, for the love we have for the church and one another, and for the love of a lost soul. Yes, that soul caused you a lot of pain and suffering, but it's a soul who God loves, and we have to be ready to extend that love whether we're happy with the person or not. I appeal to you for my sake, not just love's sake. He says, listen, for my sake, I'm an old guy now. It's funny to find out how old he is with that remark. Do you know how old he is? He's 60. And yeah, everybody went, oh, no. <laughs> he doesn't mean, I'm an old man now. He doesn't mean that. They know he's 60. When a man turned 60, it was a respectable age. It was the age of fullness of manhood. It was the age where the Romans said, he's a man. We need to respect his wisdom. So he's saying, listen, I've kind of weathered the storm here, so maybe I know something here. So I'm an old man now, and he says, I'm suffering. I'm in prison. If I could get out of here and help him, I would, but I can't. So there's a lot on the line, man. There's a lot on the line. So here's what he's saying. So your old aging friend is writing you from prison where I'm suffering for Jesus, asking you for a favor on the basis of the love of God who has loved us and also loved Onesimus. What do you say? You think you can listen to my appeal? Then he adds in verse 10, he says, the guy standing in your living room right now, though he's totally wronged you. He's my son in the faith. Now, Paul refers to converts as his spiritual children. In fact, where it says he's become my son, that word in the Greek is to beget, to beget, to give birth to. So he's saying, through my love for this kid, uh, young man, my prayers, through something I said, I shared the gospel with him. He became, he looked up at me and the light came on in his face. I'm like, oh, he's saved. But he did so. I was the midwife. I was there. I was like, there's this bond that is created when the person who's sharing the gospel, the person who receives, has passed out of death to life. It's like pulling somebody out of the flames. There's a bond with the person who pulls a person out of a drowning situation and lifts them to safety. Those two lives are forever bound in a special kind of love. And that's why he says, this dude, man, he's my very heart. He came to faith, man. He's like, he shares the same Lord. Standing before you, he is my very heart. So now he says, uh, he acknowledges, okay, of course, formerly when he was useless, he was of zero worth to you, as everybody is. Listen, can you imagine, as I said earlier, getting to the end of your life and get the shock of your life that God says, who are you? I, I never knew you. If you never knew the Lord, how could you be of good to anybody because you were never connected to the source of your life? Oh, man, alive. So he says here, this formally, he was useless because he didn't connect to Christ, to life, to God. So he says, yeah, you know, Ephesians chapter 2 says, 
And if you put Onesimus' name in there, it makes sense. Formally, yeah, when he was dead in his sins and transgressions, in which he used to live, when he followed the ways of this world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the devil, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, Formerly, when Onesimus was by nature gratifying the lusts of his sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, yeah, formerly, when Onesimus was by nature deserving of God's wrath, of course he was useless to you. But he's saying he was useless. He was un-Onesimus. And now the play of the words. And here's what he's saying. And to carry on with Ephesians chapter 2, now things have changed. Because Onesimus, because of the love of God and the richness of his mercy, he saved Onesimus and joined him to Christ and raised him up and seated him in heavenly places. So now, and here's the word fun that God's having here. He's saying, Onesimus, who was not Onesimus, is now Onesimus. The, the, uh, the, the useful one who was not useful is now useful, and that's what Onesimus' name means. He's useful. You're plugged into life, man. You're useful to society. You're useful to a spouse. You're useful to your kids. You're not going to raise kids so that they can grow up without faith and go into a world where they could perish. But you're useful as a mom and dad because you're going to pray over your kids and tell them about Jesus. You're useful to a spouse because you're going to be other-centered and loyal and trustworthy and loving. You're useful to an employer because you're not just going to be working while his eye is on you. You're going to do the job as unto Christ. Yeah, useful, useful, useful. And he's saying, Mr. Useful has indeed become useful. And so that's the whole point here. Now, Paul wants to reason with them. So here's some more words. Paul, here's what Paul wants to do. He knows it's hard. He knows he's already resisting and thinking, Paul, you don't know. He cost me 25,000 shekels. Oh, you don't even know the story, man. We bent over backwards for years. We did kind things. And then he turned around and stabbed us all in the back. He made us look like fools. Let me tell you what he said to Afia, my wife, and what he did with my son, Archippus. You have no idea, Paul. Oh, man, we were so glad when he was gone, even though, you know, he took all the money. So he's going to give him reasons to get over that. I call it little social lubrication to the gears that are grinding under the weight of I've been wronged. And I'm angry and I'm hurt. He needs some help here. So he's going to give him lots of reasons. Let me help you get through this, buddy. I know it's hard. So he's going to say, you know, I'm not exaggerating. He says, um, I would have liked to keep him here with me so that he could take your place in helping me. Now, listen to that. There's a couple things going on there. One, he's saying... This guy isn't the kind of guy who runs around saying, I'm a changed man, I'm a changed man, I'm a changed man. Trust me, you can trust me. Oh, you guys, I know I used to be this, but I'm this way now, I'm this way now, I'm this way now. No, that's not him. He lets his good behavior speak as his proof of repentance, not his words. And so already, when he became saved up there, and Paul, by the way, is a Roman citizen, he's got a lot of perks. 
So they can all take care of him. He's got all, that, all those friends in to support him. He's allowed that. And so this guy is able to right away become dear and useful. So right away, this kid says, watch me. As much damage as I did for the devil, oh, I'm going to be double dangerous for God. You know, I'm going to make God happy that he saved me. You know, and so he's He's running circles around Luke and John Mark, and, and he's shining so bright. He's saying, listen to what he's saying. If you don't want him, oh, I'll take him. Wow, that says a lot. And then he says, instead of you coming up here, why don't you send him? Whoa. He's saying, whatever service Philemon you could have offered me as a wealthy businessman, you know what? I'd, I'd be okay with him instead of you. That's saying, this guy's the real deal. He's not just a talker. You know, you can trust me, you can trust me, you can trust me. Stop. Stop it. It makes us not want to trust you. Show us by your good behavior. Let your good deeds preach the gospel that you've been saved and set free and changed. Amen? And here's the hint, you know, you, you know, I would like it if, if you did want to send him up, I'd put him to good use. So, um, but I don't want to force you into it, you know, so that's kind of funny. And then he gives him the best part, theological reasons for it. He says, hey, man, brother, have you stopped to think, verse 15, perhaps the reason this all happened, that he was separated from you for a little while, that is that so that you could have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but as a born-again Christian brother who's going to live forever in the kingdom of God and reign and rule with us forever. Did you stop to think, my friend, about how God is working in the middle of your nightmare for good? He's just saying, you know, I'm not justifying what he did. God has a way of dealing with all of us for what we do. However, he's saying, have you stopped to think that maybe this all happened under God's watchful eye and that something beautiful like the e- eternal salvation of his soul, was that not worth a little bit of the grief, a little bit of the pain, some of the tears, but somebody got eternally saved. He would have perished. He would have gone to hell forever. Can you see, Philemon? how you can kind of chill out about it because God took something terrible that hurt you something fiercely and used it for good. And now you got him back, new and, new and improved version, right? He's a better, but more than that, he says, yeah, you got your guy back and he's going to do a really better job than ever, but you've got a brother. God took the worst thing that ever happened to you and can turn it into the best thing if you're willing to step out in faith and let go a little and soften your heart and extend some grace. That's what he wants to hear. It's that kind of attitude. Oh, it's that kind of attitude that will help you, my friend, who's struggling with any kind of forgiveness issues and being hurt and wounded and not being able to let go. It's that kind of attitude. God, I trust you. You're working something. You allowed it for a reason. There's something redeemable, even in the most 
deadliest of situations. Listen, the latter half of Genesis, Joseph, one of the patriarchs, beautiful story. It starts somewhere around uh, Genesis 37 and goes all the way to 50. And this young man was the envy of all his brothers. They hated him, right? They're the fathers of Israel, actually. And and they decide to kill him. So they throw him into a hole, leave him there to die. One of the brothers says, let's not kill him. Kill him. Let's just kind of kill him. Send him to Egypt. Sell him into slavery. So they sell him into slavery. Miserable life. Terrible pain. He's estranged from his father who he loves. He's estranged from the family. He's abused there, right? But God says, listen, kid, watch what I'm going to do. And he raises him up through a series of beautiful providential moves to where Joseph... (laughs) the prisoner, becomes prime minister of the superpower of the then-known world, Egypt. And Pharaoh says, not a person in the region will lift a pinky without your say. Gold chain around his neck, he's in charge. He runs the world, right? And so now the brothers are in need. You know, God works it out to that they have to come and grovel for some grain. And they come, it's all exposed, and they're reconciled and all of that. So the father, who sort of was the glue that kept everything together, the father dies, right? And so (laughs) after the father dies, the sons who had committed the crime against their brother, came into Joseph, and they said, hey, Joe, listen. Dad, we were in the room when Dad passed, and he, he was gasping, and we, we listened, and, and, and Dad said, with his last breath, tell Joseph to forgive all of you for your terrible crimes against him. Don't hold the sin against them. And then he died. Bunch of liars. That's really not what happened, all right? And Joseph knows, and here's the attitude that Paul had. In this terrible time, when did he say, hey, brothers, listen, you guys meant what you did for evil, but God meant it for good, and that now people who would have died because of the famine, they're all going to live because God allowed this to happen, this terrible thing to me that caused me years and years of pain. Instead of being resentful, wanting to get those brothers back, you know, know, as soon as the dad dies, uh, some uh, Josephs out there would be handing them all a shovel and saying, dig a hole, (laughs) you know, dig a hole. (laughs) Dig a hole like you dug for me because I'm going to make sure that you know what it's like to be at the bottom of that hole, right? No, 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 no. Here's the attitude. The attitude is God was in it. God was working. God will show us when we get there why he allowed it. But some good can come from it. Here's a nice quote. It's a little graphic, so, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. Uh, the quote is by some pastor, Pastor Ross at CC The Rock. <laughs> Here's what he says. Does this mean almost murdering Joseph was a good thing? No. Was Onesimus' crime justified? No. It means that a good God can and does work good things through terrible actions of evil. God will produce a beautiful crop of daffodils on any stinking pile of manure where he's at liberty to work through people who believe 
and belong to him and are willing to do the hard work of forgiveness. God wants daffodils and fertilizer. It can act as fertilizer with the right attitude, with the right response. So he's looking at Philemon and he's saying, Philemon, is it, is it going to be daffodils? Is it going to be daffodils? There, there are other plants that are possible. Uh, let me list them for you. White snake root. <laughs> Deadly nightshade. Hemlock. Those are three of the top deadly plants, according to Siri. <laughs> As she would know. Except, let me tell you, and I digress. Should I tell you? It's a, it's a rabbit trail. I, <laughs> I'm driving out of church one night, and I ask Siri to call Barb. And she says, I have found several bars in your area. <laughs> Which, which one would you like me to direct you to? <laughs> oh, I said, no, thank you. <laughs> All right. So, but she got this one right. Deadly plants. Listen, you want some snake root? I don't recommend it. Now, listen. Forgiveness, always a mandate. Jesus knew it would be so hard that he said, do you want the Father to forgive you? Unless you forgive others who have sinned against you, you will not be forgiven. So he knows he has to talk to us like that, right? And listen, while forgiveness is 100% mandated and you better do it and do it right, right? Whether or not that person is restored or placed back and things all get better in a practical sense is a case-by-case situation. It's not always smart to, especially if the person's not repenting, right, and ripping the scab off every other day. You know, those are difficult situations that you may have to say, 100% forgiven, but, you know, uh, let's just keep the relationship this way instead. God knows, and God will give you wisdom. But here Paul senses that the God's will is for daffodils to grow and Philemon to soften his heart. So he goes on to say, final push, and then we're done. So here we go. He's going to lay it on thick now. So if you consider me a partner, <laughs> welcome him as you would welcome me. Now here's what he's saying here. There's forgiveness, half-hearted, begrudgedly given, or real, genuine, free, and full forgiveness. The Eeyore spirit is not what he wants here. All right, so he's saying, well, you know, okay, you're back. I guess this means you're off the hook. I guess it means that all that money that you took from me, I'm never going to see it again. And that's okay. Good thing you have a friend like Paul. Now get to work. I forgive you. No, 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 no. He says, this is what I'm thinking. If you get a knock at your door and you open it up and 1,200 miles away and I'm facing death by Nero and I just appeared at your door and go, I'm free. I want you to welcome him like that, like you'd welcome me. Full, free, from the heart. The kind of forgiveness the prodigal son story talks about. This, this, this 
Sorry, I don't know why I want to call him the snotty-nosed kid, but that's what I'm going to call him. The snotty-nosed kid says to dad, dad, I hate you. I wish you were dead, but you know, you keep living. So could you just, <laughs> could you just get it over with? Give me my inheritance now so I could go to Vegas and blow it all on wild living. And the guy goes, okay, whatever. And gives him the money. He goes to Vegas, spends it all. Everyone deserts him. Like that's, you know how the story goes. He ends up feeding the pigs and all of that. He comes to his senses because he's hungry. And he starts on his way home. Notice what the father does and doesn't do. Lots of kisses. Where's the contract? Lots of pardoning, pardoning, pardoning. You know, where are, come on, some promises here. Where's the probationary period? How are you going to pay this back? Kisses, hugs, gifts, undeserved, undeserved gifts. He put a knife in mom's heart. And that guy had to watch his wife, the mom, cry herself to sleep for a year. And he's throwing a party. Why? Because, oh, life has come. The devil's been defeated in this kid's life. He's back. He's clean. He's with us. He's going to live. Let's have a party. That's what he wants. Welcome him like you'd welcome me. If he's done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is verse 18. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me because I read it once and here in my mind's eye, I saw Jesus standing before my judge who I owed more than I could pay. God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ stands next to me with his arm around me and says he owes you a lifetime of debt, immoral thoughts, terrible things he said, twisted motivations, lusts and sins and all kinds of problems. Whatever he owes you, Father, put it on my account. Put it on me. When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, it's like, why would you be, need to be baptized? You're the sinless one. He says, listen, just do it. It's important, John. He's identifying with me as a sinner and you. So he can come up and everybody can hear. He's done no wrong. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Perfect. Because now he's qualified as somebody who has the funds available to lose a precious life on behalf of somebody else, a guilty person. So on the cross, he bears all of our sins, all of them. He charges it to his account. And he takes those things and he cries out, it is paid. Teleos an accounting term you stamped bills with that said paid in full. It was a teleos, paid. He paid. And it's from that experience that you're able to be a Philemon. When somebody's standing before you and you hold their whole life in your hands because you got them. You can, with a word, destroy them. 
or because you've been given a word of life, you can speak life and say, I forgive you. Let's make this work. I reconcile with you. This, my friend, will set you apart from a person in the world. And Jesus said that. He said, aren't you being like everybody else when you just kind of do what everybody else does, love those who are nice people? But when you start throwing out the mercy and the love and the grace to people who don't deserve it, what do you think the word mercy means? It means you don't deserve what I'm about to give you. The only one you're hurting by not doing this, it doesn't mean you put yourself in harm's way, but it means as far as your heart and your mind are concerned, you've left the deed to God. God says, vengeance is my department, dear son or dear daughter. I know how to do it better than you. It's my job. I know the situation better than you, and I'm more creative than you. I'll take care of it. You're not letting them off the hook. They're not getting away with murder. That's my job to deal with them. Your job is to keep your heart sweet and clean and grace-filled and merciful because that's who I am. And that's who you need to reflect. And if you start muddying it up with, with, with anger and hate and revenge and malice, you'll be no good to me. You'll be un-Onesimus. You'll be unprofitable for everybody. Bitter, uptight. And when you get to heaven, God will say, I'm glad you're here, but bro, listen, I had so much more for you and you just couldn't let it go. Philemon, if you consider me a partner, let it go, welcome him. If he's done anything wrong, charge it to me. And here, I'm going to just remind you, you know, oh, I'm writing this with my own hand means it's like a promissory note. They took that serious. Here it is, I'll pay you. And then he says, and by the way, uh, need I mention that you owe me your life. He's saying, listen, I led you, I led you to the Lord. You would be on your way to hell right now. And all I'm asking you to do is come on for the love of God. The only one you'll hurt, Philemon, is you, the family, the house church. He's begging him. Find it within your heart to let it go. Act your way into forgiveness. Act your way into feeling. That's what therapists say all the time. Go ahead and start doing the things that you would do if, that, if you were fully reconciled with that person. So I, I went to a therapist for my, my relationship with my dad. This is like 30 years ago. And it's still with me. He said, go ahead and ask to talk to your dad when your mom calls. What? He never wants to talk to me. Yeah, go ahead and act your way like you're reconciled. So, hey, mom says, okay, I'm going to go now. And I said, hey, let me talk to dad. What? Yeah, I want to talk to dad. Yeah? Hey, dad, what's going on? Nothing. <laughs> I wanted to call. I haven't seen you for a while. How are you doing? Good. You know, okay, dad, I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. When we were over, when I got up to leave, went to hug him, and he just was like freaked out, and he just stood there, and he let me hug him, right, and what was happening 
wasn't so much in him. It was happening in me. There was new life. There was freedom. There was liberty. There was healing. I was being set free. And that's why God's saying, grow some daffodils, man. Choose mercy. Choose grace. By faith, let something beautiful come up. And it'll start in your own heart. You'll be so happy you did. You'll be a new person. And leave that other stuff to God. He's really he's good at multitasking. Amen? It goes on to say, he wraps up by saying, hey, I got faith here. I think that I'm actually going to get out of this. He says, prepare a guest room for me in that big house where Onesimus is going to be. <laughs> because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. And so he does get out. It's the first Roman epistle. He gets out. He gets three, four years reading Titus, First and Second Timothy. You can figure it out. He gets about three years. They rearrest him back to the same place where he is martyred in about the year 64, 65, right around there in the first century. Listen, what do you take away from this? You've been given a name. Onesimus was useful, but he wasn't useful. Then he was useful. You have a name, Christian. And everybody around you either says, oh, yeah, the behavior matches the name, or what? Your name is what? Well, why do you live like that? Why do you talk like that? You see, an interaction with Christ, yielding to him, will make you be able to live up and become and fill, fill the shoes of that great title, Christian. Amen? Let's pray together. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hidden gem in the New Testament, this truth that can set our hearts free. And uh, there was a lot going on in here <laughs> this morning. And so we pray that you would help us apply this truth in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.